You know, as we've gone through the book of Amos, that idea of aligning our hearts to God in worship is really the foundation of everything. Everything else kind of comes out of that, that the people of Israel had fallen out of alignment with God, out of alignment with who he was, his heart for them, his hope for them. And so in Amos chapter 7 today, he brings the image of the plumb line. You may remember this from the drama that Chad did overviewing the book, because God holds up his plumb line to make sure that his people are aligned to him. And that if they're not, it immediately becomes obvious where they're out of line with God. And we've seen a lot over the last few chapters that God is showing them the pain, the consequence, the things that are coming because they have abandoned him and abandoned his standard. And so today we kind of get this really special moment because there's a contrast between two people. Amos... Our friend we've been getting to know for the last six chapters, and Amaziah, a false priest in this temple where they're worshiping the golden calf. I don't know if that's an intentional kind of play on words, that their names sound so similar, but their responses to God are very different. And Amos kind of has been this guy that every week it's like, you know, you imagine, I don't know if this is fair, but you imagine that crazy guy on the corner shouting about the end of the world. That sounds like Amos. Fire and brimstone and locusts and plague and you're all going to die. Woe to you. Well, I mean, those are almost direct quotes. <laughs> but something really special happens in Amos chapter 7 today. Because today, for the first time, we actually hear Amos speak. Everything up to this point, it's been Amos, but it's all the Lord says. Thus says the Lord, so saith the Lord God of hosts. Today we actually hear Amos' voice and Amos' heart. Which is going to help us, I think, find four things that were kind of guiding principles for Amos. And can be, I think, for us too. When we are called to bring God's message to people who are far from God. So check out Amos chapter 7. Let's start with verse 1. Thus the Lord God showed me. Behold, he formed locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. Indeed, it was the late crop after the king's mowings, and so it was when they had finished eating the grass of the land that I said. Now, now pause there for just a second because I know you're hearing so much about cicadas and you hear locust swarm and you think, I know what that's like. It's not the same thing, all right? The, the, the locust swarm, unlike cicadas that don't even bite, the locust swarm is destructive. It would eat all of the crops, leaving nothing behind, which causes a famine and then people die. Very different. So if you hear the buzzing in the woods, no, that's not your, your warning from God. That's just kind of a weird thing that happens every 17 years. But notice when he says, I said, this is Amos about to speak. And in verse 3, the end of verse 2, into verse 3, here are his words. Oh, Lord God, forgive, I pray. Oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. And look how God responds. So the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. An amazing moment. Don't miss this because if you've been tracking with us for the last few weeks, think about what Amos is saying about the people who have abandoned the worship of God decades ago. 
that whenever they've been given a reminder, they ignore it, that they've set up two golden calves and called it Yahweh, made up their own songs for it, damaging and abusing the poor. And Amos still has a heart that cries out to God for them. Oh Lord, forgive, I pray. So the Lord relented. See, this is one of the moments in the book that we realize even the prophecies that Amos is giving, the warnings that are coming are still some ways away. I think it's part of why it's so helpful to parallel this book with Jonah, who lived at the same time and served under the same king. Remember, Jonah went to Nineveh and told them, 40 days and you'll be destroyed. The things Amos is prophesying are actually decades away. And if you remember, in the book of Jonah, when he comes to Nineveh, the message goes to the king, the king repents and passes it on to the people, and the city is saved and their cows. Remember that? The same thing is possible here. The God who relented in the book of Jonah is the God who will relent here. Because what we saw in Jonah, if you remember our study earlier this year, is that even when God gives a message of destruction, it is the very character of God that within that is a call to repentance, a desire to relent and show mercy. You see, when you see Amos' heart, you're actually seeing God's heart. When Amos desires their repentance and forgiveness, it's because God desires it too. In fact, the same thing happens in verse 4. Thus the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God called for conflict by fire, and it consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. Then I said, O Lord God, cease, I pray. Oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. You see, what Amos is doing here is essentially what we would call intercessory prayer. Stepping in on behalf of someone else, going before God on their behalf. And if all of the things in the Old Testament ultimately point to Christ, do you hear how similar this sounds to the words of Jesus on the cross? Father, forgive them. Even as he took the pain, the penalty, and the wrath, just like we hear about in Amos, everything that we deserve that Jesus took on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. God himself in the flesh reflecting God's heart to you. It's the same heart that Amos, as a person who is aligned to God, shares for the people around him, despite what they've done, despite how wrong they are, despite how many debates he could win against them. Still, his heart for them is he desires their forgiveness. It's part of why he is willing to bring such a painful message of woe like we have seen in the last few weeks. So when I read something like this, I'll give you guys one of my absolute favorite Bible study tips. One of the things that just unlocks this for me is if the, if the book is only this long, like if it could have been this long, one of the Gospels says that if everything Jesus did was written down, all the books in the world couldn't contain it. But my Bible is this big. So why is this page here? And these two questions are really helpful for me. What does this tell me about God? If this book is him revealing himself, his plan to me, what does this tell me about God? 
And what does this tell me about myself? Is there an example I can follow or, or not follow? Is there a promise to take hold of? See, when I read this, I think the first really tip that Amos has in a difficult moment with a difficult message that we can share, pray for those around you to find forgiveness from God. I think about that. Amos steps into a moment where the people's sin is disastrous. There is a lot of pain, a lot of judgment, and a lot of death coming because of how far off track they are and how many times they have resisted, rejected, and ignored God. And still, he's praying for forgiveness from God. He's not just praying for them to get well. He's not just praying for things to go well in their lives. He's literally praying, God, forgive them. Have you ever done that? Sounds really pretentious, doesn't it? Like, who am I? Dear Lord, please forgive them. They're sinful people. But let me encourage you here. Because when we first kind of got into this COVID pandemic, a year and a quarter, whatever it was, ago, I remember thinking there were a lot of people who were scared, anxious, depressed, forced to face their mortality in a way that maybe they don't, and now they have to on a daily basis. Like, am I going to get sick? If I get sick, am I going to die? What are the numbers like? What do, what do they mean? And one of the things that struck me is, as we're all quarantined, we're all stuck at home, and I'm, I'm just looking out the window at my neighborhood. How many people in my neighborhood don't know what eternal life is? Don't have hope for eternal life. Because they don't know Jesus. They don't know his forgiveness. And I found that God was just laying on my heart. I, I think it's why it jumped out to me in Amos. That there are people all around me who need forgiveness just like me. Just like I did. Just like you do. And so there are passages that I started to notice all through Scripture. One of them being the first half of Daniel chapter 9 which if you check out the Pathway video this week, it'll, it'll come out this afternoon. We're going to spend a little bit more time in Daniel chapter 9 for a perfect example of how to pray this way. Because I just found myself on my knees praying, God, forgive me, but would you forgive my neighbors? And some of them I'm praying by name because I know them, I care about them. Some of them I don't even know. <laughs> just like, and, and whoever else is out there, Lord, in my neighborhood, in, in our country, across the world, because I found that my heart was, was shifting from just thinking about myself in this moment, this season of our, our history, to how might God use this to reach others? And it's been incredible to hear stories from many of you. I see baptisms a couple of weeks ago. How many people through this season God has drawn closer to himself? That even as we see the warning that's coming for Israel, we also know there is a remnant. That there were people who respond to the message. So I'd encourage you to be thinking that way. I'd encourage you to be praying that way. That when you get on your knees before God, and we do pray about the things that, that matter to us today. Lord, I'm, I'm trying to accomplish this. Would you help me? Lord, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out, and I don't know what to do. God, I'm, I'm hurting over here, or someone I know is hurting. Guys, that is all the time, and it needs our prayer. But would you pray with that? God, I know that there are people who are far from you. Would you forgive them? You see, when you do that, you're aligning with God's heart. That's what he wants. 
That's what he wants, and we join him in that. So pray for, the, for those around you to find forgiveness from God. Because then God goes on in verse 7 to give Amos this picture. Thus he showed me, Behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand, and the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. I love that. <laughs> there's, there's something so simple about this moment that as God and, and Amos are speaking together, you, you notice how he's really just telling what God shows him, right? That, that as God brings out the plumb line and says, look, it's a plumb line. What, what, what do you think it is? If I'm Amos, I'm like, this is a trick question, right? It's a... Uh, Lord, it's a symbol of your grace. You know, we, we try to read into it. Amos, just sheep breeder from Tekoa, just tell it like it is. God, that's a plumb line. Very good. <laughs> Very good, Amos. Because this is the tool that God is going to use to show how out of line his people are. Look at how this verse continues. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. You see, before we had laser levels and all of these other things, the plumb line was designed for builders to know that their building is straight. So if you have a wall like this, you can immediately see there are gaps. This is not plumb. Something is wrong here, and if you try to build on top of this, it's going to topple where the gaps are. And the wonderful thing about the plumb line is, this is the standard for building. And you can't change it. If you try to tilt it to match the wall, it just swings and eventually returns to plumb. See, that's a picture of the standard that God has for his people. And it's a picture of who God is. He is unchanging. That we may try to change him. We may talk about him differently. We, we may say things that make us more comfortable with the idea of God or the fact that God might have rules and standards. We may try to swing the plumb line, but it's always going to return to plumb. And, and so what God is telling Amos multiple times, we've seen him relent in this very passage, but at some point, it's up to the person being prayed for. It's up to the people themselves. Will they respond to God's mercy? Because if they don't, the very goodness of God means that he must deal with the wickedness that he sees. So here's what's helpful for us. If the first thing is to be praying for those around you to find forgiveness from God, I think the second thing is to check your alignment. Specifically by seeing what God sees and hearing what God says. And I think that's made the most clear when God just holds out a plumb line and says, what is it? And the answer is plumb line. But the, the meaning behind that is that Amos isn't coming up with his own message. This isn't Amos' opinion of the culture. It's not Amos' axe to grind. Literally, what God tells Amos, word for word, is what God shares. The heart of God for forgiveness is what Amos prays. What God sees is what Amos wants to see. What God says is what Amos wants to hear. And that's what he shares with other people. Are you tracking with me? So at the times that I wonder if my life is aligned, if the times that I wonder, 
You know, what do I share with someone else? How do I love the people around me? How do I pray for the people around me? I don't know, but here is God's plumb line. And I can open this book and say, well, here's one way. How about if I just pray, oh, Lord God, forgive? And I immediately know when I pray that way for people around me, it's not pretentious. It's actually very kind. And I'm aligning with God's heart. That we can check our alignment by seeing what God sees and hearing what God says. A couple of weeks ago, I, I had the privilege to uh, visit one of our gals groups. Not being a woman, I don't go to women's studies very often, but they invited me in, and I, I think they thought that I was there to encourage them. And I hope that happened. But really, they encouraged me. And, and one of the best parts of it, they had just finished a study that maybe you've heard of this book, Experiencing God by Blackaby. And there was a part in there that they shared with me that was the moment you know what God wants you to do and the moment that you actually do it, sometimes there's this gap in between, right? right? Sometimes I hear it and it's like, oh, that's exciting and easy. I'll do that today, Lord. Other times it's like, ooh, I have to apologize to that person, confess that thing, take that risk, share that story. Um... Let me pray about this, Lord. <laughs> and Blackaby calls that period adjustment. Right? Rather than making a negative, it's like, hey, sometimes it takes time as God shapes our heart to be ready to do what he called us to do. I think Amos would call that alignment. Right? That there's a period of alignment that you've heard God's word and he shapes my heart to be able to actually follow through. Right? That he's with us in this thing. And one of the really neat examples that came out of that gal named Kristen, I was, I was talking to her again this week as she shared kind of how this happened for her. Because she'd been doing that study and saying things like, Lord, I want to be willing if that's what you want me to do. And, and so there was a day where, you know, one of their leaders brought up, hey, I, I think there's somebody we all know we haven't seen for a while. We've got to pray for them. Yeah, okay. Maybe somebody should check on her. Eh. That's a, that's a little awkward. You know, Kristen told me, she's like, I am the last person to be doing, like, texting and group texting, and it's just, just not really my thing. But she really felt like the Holy Spirit was putting this on her heart. And what I love about this is how practical it is, right? It's not one of those stories like, you know, I, I woke up in the middle of the night and just knew that I had to go be a missionary on the moon or something. <laughs> it's like, my God just told me, hey, why don't you text that person? So she did, and the response that she got back was just filled with just intense things going on in this person's life that desperately needed prayer. And now Kristen could pray for her intentionally, by name, for specific things before God. That just that moment of alignment started to shift things, where you get to see that God is at work, where you get to join him at work. And because of that, she started to feel more bold in her prayer and found that she was praying for not just other people in the group that she knows, but there was family members Friends of other people in the group. People she doesn't know at all, and yet she finds herself weeping in prayer over them as if they are her closest friends because of how God has been aligning her heart to pray for his work in the lives of others. I tell you, that was extremely encouraging to me because sometimes it feels like I don't know what to do next. I don't know what, is there a big step I got to take? Is there something huge I got to do? Or... Sometimes it's just as simple as why don't you go talk to God about that person? What person? I don't know. Why don't you go talk to God about who that person might be? 
And if you're like me, I always have to pray like, and Lord, um, if you put them on my heart, give me the courage to actually follow through on that. You know, when I don't feel like it, help me remember that I do have the time. I do have the energy. I can reach out to them. I want them to know I love them so that I can show them how you love them. That is how we begin to align our hearts. And I think prayer, you see from Amos, you know, you hear in Christian's story, can be such a subtle moment, but so powerful to begin to see where God is at work. Now, in contrast to Christian, in contrast to Amos, we meet this guy, Amaziah, in verse 10. It says, Amaziah, the priest of Bethel. So remember, Bethel is one of the places they put the false temple with the golden calf. Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. He's essentially warning the king, Amos has bad news, and you're not going to like it. <laughs> What's really kind of ironic here, the name Amaziah means the Lord is my strength. And then he says, we're not strong enough to bear this message from the Lord. Well, it's exactly what Chad talked about last week. Because they're relying on their own strength, not God's. If they were relying on God's strength, they wouldn't need this message. And yet here he is telling the king, essentially, that we should ignore Amos. Look at verse 12. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread and there prophesy. He's essentially saying, go home. Amos. We don't want to hear your prophecies. We don't want to hear what you think about God. We don't want to hear what you think about our temple and our calf. We worked really hard on that. He's from Judah, so he tells him, go eat bread in Judah. Go home. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary. Okay, that should be a red flag right there. <laughs> it shouldn't be the king's sanctuary. It should be the Lord's. It is the king's sanctuary, and it is the royal residence. In this moment, Amos faces a major obstacle. Now, Amaziah has a lot to lose. In terms of aligning with God's will, if Amaziah is the false priest of the fake temple, and he's the one, he's part of the problem, he's been leading people astray... He's at risk of losing his position. I mean, it's his job. His influence. His income. His comfort. There's a lot on the line for Amaziah if he were to align with God. Probably no one in here is a false priest. If you are, um, hearth room is the third door on the left. We can talk afterwards. <laughs> We'll figure that out. And yet sometimes it feels like we have a lot to lose if I'm really going to align with God, if I'm really going to follow his lead. Amaziah is unwilling to, and his purpose is, his reason is, because this is the king's sanctuary. We go by what the king says. I mean, you hear it right away. He's got the wrong king. Guys, and that's why for us it is so important that we're going by God's plumb line. Our plumb line cannot be made by any earthly king. Our standard cannot be what people think about God. Our standard cannot be like, 
political like it is for Amaziah. That, that can't be the core of how I measure my life. It can't be relationships. It can't be friendships. It has to be God and God's word because that is what never changes. Everything else changes like multiple times a day, certainly over the course of time. But God and Jesus Christ are the same yesterday, today, and forever. In fact, the kind of obstacle that Amos is facing, it's not new. If you fast forward a few hundred years, past the time of Amos, past the time when his prophecies came true, even past the life of Jesus, after he died, rose again, and returned to heaven, in the book of Acts, we see some of Jesus' closest friends trying to share this good news. They have an incredible message from God for people who are far from him. And just like Amos... Jesus' closest friends, and like us, they're willing to check their alignment when they face obstacles. Right? That sometimes I'm wondering, is God upset with me? Did I do it wrong? Is it my fault if no one responds to this message? I'm trying to get it out there. How do I proceed? Well, look at what happens in Acts chapter 5. I'll just read you verses 27 to 32. Where just like in Amos' day, there are people who say they know God telling Jesus' friends, not to speak in the name of Jesus. They've arrested them, and now the religious leaders bring out the apostles, and when they had brought them out, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. Like, don't speak in his name? How about if I say it in my next sentence? The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. The same message that Amos had. Only we know even more now that that message isn't, that fulfillment isn't possible through, through obedience and keeping the law. It's possible through Jesus Christ. And we, hear yourself in this, and we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. You see, in Jesus Christ, as he transforms us, as he aligns us to God, then our obedience flows out of our worship. Then we find ourselves like Amos, like Peter, like the apostles with a message to share that is empowered, not by my skill, not by yours, not by my strength, but by the Holy Spirit himself. Even when we face obstacles. In fact, I wonder... It doesn't say this, but I wonder if they might think back to Amos. You know, you can almost see him like, like in the locker room beforehand. Guys, man, if Amos could do it, we could do it too. You know, be strong. Bring the message. Let's do it. Say Jesus. Don't back down. And right in the face of the religious leaders, just like Amos is right here with Amaziah. In fact, check out verse 14 back in Amos 7. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet. Nor was I a son of a prophet. This isn't what I studied for. This isn't how I was born. This wasn't ever my plan. But I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. 
Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said to me, go, prophesy to my people Israel. Go, prophesy to my people. And you may think to yourself, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a pastor. I'm, I'm just me. That's what Amos is saying. We look at him and we say, dude, you are definitely a prophet. But he says, I was not trained that way. That wasn't my dad. That wasn't my thing. This isn't a me thing. This is God's message, God's power. In fact, God comes to him right in the middle of a workday. He's breeding the sheep. He's taking care of them. He's tending sycamore fruit. He's looking over the trees. I mean, this is about as practical as it gets. This is his everyday life. And it's in that moment at work that he feels like God has put something on his heart. See, this is the other thing that I love about this. You know, when we did our, our first Samuel series last year, there's something really cool about Samuel, this, this little boy, and like his mom's at home making him robes so he can go serve in the temple from the time he's a child and, until, until he dies in old age. It's like, wow, I'll never be like Samuel. What about Amos? What about just in the middle of a regular day? What about in the middle, literally, of a work day, thinking, God, is there something I could respond to right in this moment? Could it be that it's praying for forgiveness for others? Could it be that it's go tell people? I've been wrestling with that question with some guys in a couple of groups at Horizon and just some friends around here over the last couple of months as, as we look through Amos. Just thinking about, like, 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 I can own, me, Drew, I work at a church. Nobody cares if I talk about Jesus at work. <laughs> if I say I'll pray for you at work or I share a Bible verse, people are like, thank you. <laughs> but I didn't always work at a church. And I certainly live in a neighborhood that is not 100% Christ followers. And as I sat with some of my friends, there was this one guy that we were talking to that it's like, man, he is bold at work and he's, he's praying for his coworkers and he's, I'm not even going to tell you all the details right now because I don't think it's prescriptive. I think it's unique to what God is doing in his situation. But I ended up on a Zoom call with him and like a whole bunch of his coworkers from different faiths or no faith and his wife is praying over them in the name of Jesus. And I'm like, how did we get here? <laughs> and so me and my friend Chris were talking because we're both kind of wrestling through some of those same questions. How do I share this? How, how do I bring this into the world around me? And as we've tried to lean into that, I think the thing that started shifting our mindset for Chris and for myself, even as we listened to this other guy talk, as I started reading Amos, is like, you know what? I don't have to make a huge plan for like, how to convert everybody I know on Thursday. But I can start praying for people. Do I pray for the people on my team by name to the living God? Well, I can do that. And I want that to be an encouragement to you. Because I think a lot of times we can be held back from bringing God's message to other people. Because the only picture that we have in our heads is like knock on the door of a stranger. You know, say our, our, our spiel for ten minutes. And uh, hope they don't just hide and peek at, you know, through the blinds until we leave. I do that too. When people come to my door, I'm like, nobody move, nobody move. Don't let them hear your footsteps. What are they selling? Who is it? Oh, it's Jason from next door. Hey, sorry, sorry Jason. You know, we just, you never be too careful these days, right? But what if you just start praying over friends, 
What if you just started praying over neighbors, people you work with? I think that's what Amos is doing. And that's what gives him the courage then in verse 16 that he doesn't back down from Amaziah. And remember that even as he says these next two lines, he wants their forgiveness. That what he's saying is because he is going to let God speak for himself through him. You can let God speak for himself through you. This is what it sounded like for Amos. Now therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Not my word, not my idea, but this is what God wants you to know. You say, do not prophesy against Israel. Do not spout against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a harlot in the city. Your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided by survey line. You shall die in a defiled land, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from his own land. You could almost hear Amos' heart break as he says it. Because he knows it's true, but he wishes it wasn't. Because Amaziah has lived through warning after warning. He's heard warning after warning. But you notice that word. He, he tells him, don't spout against the house of Isaac. The word there could also be translated drip. Just, just a drop of water. You think about Amos, the farmer in the field, Every drop of water is life-giving. If the message he's not supposed to be spouting off is really living water, then the intent even of this warning is to bring people back to God. And I want to encourage you because as we sit here today at Horizon Community Church, I don't think that the message we've been given to share with people is your wife shall be a harlot in the city, your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. There is certainly a warning about sin. There is certainly a warning about the judgment that's coming. But Jesus said, go therefore into all the world, making disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The message that we have to go tell people is that there is a Savior and there is forgiveness and that is Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you to think about this as a key takeaway today. Who could you pray for? Honestly, when I started praying that way kind of before COVID, I had people in mind. I knew, like, this guy must be at the top of God's list, and I could see where this thing is going to go. And I'll just tell you, the person who has been most on my heart that I finally was like, God, I think you have him out of order, but, but, but okay, God, if you say so. I mean, if you, know, if you just want me to prove that they're not interested, has been the most responsive. Which is just a wonderful reminder, I think, to me and I hope to you. You don't do this thing. Amos doesn't do this thing either. We don't control how people respond. We don't control the results. And praise God, we don't have to worry about that. The Spirit is at work around you. Who could you pray for where he might have you join in his work? And who might God tell you to go to? It may be that you have a name on your mind right now. It just jumped into your head. It may not. That's okay. Would you commit maybe today through this week, start praying that way like Amos did? And can we pray that way right now? 
Our Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to be here. I know that it is because we have heard and we are hearing and we want to respond to your message of grace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ that we sit here and stand here before you today. Lord, we know that there are people all around us that, that your heart for them is to forgive them because you made them in your image. So God, right now, in this moment, we want to ask you boldly. We want to be like Amos, to be like Peter, to be like the apostles, to be like Jesus himself, and pray for the forgiveness of those around us in our neighborhoods, in Cincinnati, in our country, and in our world. Lord, if there are names that you would put on our hearts today or in the coming days, maybe even just to start by praying for them, would you give us the discernment to hear that from your spirit and the courage to follow through? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as you think about those things, one of the reasons that we always try to make Horizon a comfortable environment is because some of those people that you'll end up praying for, you might end up inviting here. And so over the next couple of weeks, if you've heard that things are starting to open up for COVID, we wanted to make sure that you understand what it will look like starting next week here at Horizon. So a very nice gentleman on a video update is going to share that with you right now, and then we'll see you next week. Hi, my name is Drew. I'm part of the teaching team here at Horizon. And as many of you have heard, Governor DeWine announced that most of the COVID restrictions in Ohio are being lifted on June 2nd. So what does that mean for Horizon? Well, I'm happy to share with you that that means Sunday, June 6th, when you come to Horizon, you no longer need to wear a mask and you no longer need to social distance, unless of course you still prefer to do that. Uh, that also means that we get to go back to 100% capacity in the chapel, in the atrium, really everywhere in our building, which also means that Sunday, June 6th, you no longer need a reservation for the services or for the kids or the student areas. You can just show up at Horizon to enjoy. And if you ask my wife, perhaps the best part of this news is that the coffee and the bagels will be back on Sunday mornings so that you can enjoy them in the atrium as you chat with friends or make new friends. Now I know if you're like me, for a lot of us, it feels like going from zero to 100 overnight. And so there may be some places where you are still kind of getting used to the idea. And so we just want you to know that one of our goals at Horizon is always to help you feel comfortable and know that you are safe. And so, we want you to know there are multiple ways you can continue to enjoy the service over the coming weeks, coming months. So it may be that you join us live in the chapel. Or if you prefer to be outdoors with some fresh air, we are keeping the tent going. And uh, I just saw them put up last week. We've got cicada-proof nets. So if they try to be a problem, we're ready for them, and you can still enjoy that beautiful outdoor space as a place to watch the service. Or if you like the open space of the atrium, there are still TVs by the fireplace where you can watch the service in the atrium. Uh, we have headsets to listen to if you prefer that. The idea being that really any of these are a way for you to continue to connect with us, connect with each other, and connect with God. In fact, if you still need to watch from home or perhaps you're traveling, you can always get the services online. Let's see if I can remember all these through our app, our website, Facebook, Apple TV, Roku, and Fire Stick, or a plain old browser. <laughs> I think I got all of them. 
Um, the idea being we want to make sure that you have options to enjoy in whatever way that that might look for you. And, and ultimately, in the midst of all of that, I just want to say we are so thankful for you for the journey that we've been on through the last year, for how many times that has required your flexibility, your patience, your grace, just choosing to be loving and understanding to one another. And really in all of that, we are thankful to God. We know that none of us are here if God hasn't brought us here. And we are so thankful for the ways that we continue to see him at work in our lives, at Horizon, in your lives, in the stories that you've shared. So whether it is here at Horizon or online, we'll see you next week.